Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. This is Michael Rice, your co-host. Jeannie will be with us in just a moment or two. She's been out running errands, having just finished our intensive season. We're still catching up with being back in Ellington. So she's out doing that. So if you're waiting to get into the switchboard, it may be a couple of minutes before she is back on with us. Other than that, we're honored, delighted that you're here to share this space with us. And our work is the work of first century Aramaic forgiveness, And we're here to share the best information, the best knowledge, the best understanding of the use of the tools of the first century Aramaic language in bringing them forward and making them available as broadly as possible. And so that's our reason for being here, our reason for being on the show every day is to give you the best we've got in that experience, in that arena, and... If you have something to share with us that will improve our understanding and our function and focus on first century Aramaic forgiveness and the corollary tools, we're delighted to hear from you and or if there's any way we can support you. Our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations we can't hear or if you're waiting to get into the chat room and you have a question for us uh, while we're waiting for Jeannie, you can call to 646-200-4169. And we'll be delighted to uh, to chat with you. Again, it'll take a couple of minutes for Jeannie to get on the show. Or actually, perhaps if uh, if Dr. Tim is out there, uh, Dr. Tim might be able to uh, get it, the switchboard turned on if you've got the space to do that, Tim or Michelle. And uh, maybe get it started, and Jeannie will catch up and take over as soon as she gets with us. So today is Wednesday, and Wednesday is our day for talking about these first century Aramaic tools and the process of recovery. And when we talk about recovery, we are talking about the fact that each of us started out in exactly the same way. We all started out as human beings. And if you hold a newborn child, you get to experience what a real true human being is, and that is the active presence of love. Did I just hear Dr. Tim back there in the background? Are you there, Tim? Okay, I thought I heard thought I heard you there. In any event, uh, if you hold a newborn child, you get a direct experience of what 
this awesome thing called the human life is. And each one of us comes in exactly the same way. And the person who can hold to that connected space of active love is the person who can support every other person they contact in recovery. If one has lost the presence of their human lives, you know, most people end up functioning out of the average level of enthusiasm in life that their generations have functioned out of. And in so doing, they tend to lose connection. You know, we come in as this presence of love and the world puts its thumbprints on us. And sometimes its thumbprints look like rage or guilt or grief or fear or hatred or vengeance or what have you. Just take a look at what's running the world today in such a large part. And when one is able to recognize that those states of trauma and pain are internal states that can be removed and when they're removed and the removal tool is called forgiveness if you have not yet accessed the forgiveness tool from the first century Aramaic we invite you to go to our website there's lots of material there free and our website is www.whyagain.org and in the center of the page, you'll see a bullseye. Click that bullseye. You may have to scroll down a little bit to find it. And once you click that bullseye, it'll open a whole series of links. It'll walk you all the way through the forgiveness process. If you look over to the right, you'll see social media buttons on the screen. And the bottom one will click you into YouTube. It's a little red square with a white arrow in it. And if you click there, you'll be on our YouTube channel, and that will give you access to all kinds of different videos. In particular, we suggest that you watch the PowerPoint that was done by Bill Costantino. We thank you, Bill, for that, uh, that awesome piece of work that's taken 35 years of, of work and study with the Aramaic and put it into a simple step-by-step, -step, here's how forgiveness works. So if you want to acquaint yourself with the tools, there's the place to go. And then as you develop your use with the tools, we're here to support you fully and, and completely and freely. And so the state of some form of hostility or fear for most people leads to such a level of pain that the pain being unresolvable without the tools to do so ends up kind of driving people into a situation where in order to get relief from pain, they find some form of addictive substance. Some of the addictive substances are simply health-destroying. Some of them destroy the emotional body, the mental body, um, leave one in a, a place where rational thinking is a difficult process. And so as one recovers the truth of who they are, this true human being that we are, one starts to experience in their physiology, once again, what it's like to be a true human being. And that is to have every cell in the structure firing in love. So that's what we're here to support. And we're honored that you're here to join us. And again, I, I think I hear noises in the background, but I'm not sure. Is, uh, are you there, Dr. Tim? Are you on with us? Okay, well, I'm not sure where that other little noise is coming from, but in any event, 
We'll have the switchboard up and operating in just a couple of minutes. Jeannie still has not returned, it's up and running. she's on the road. She's... Oh, there you go. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Oh, good. I thought I could hear you in the background. Thank you for getting it started up there. And anything exciting in your world to share in the uh, in the arena of understanding and opening the space for recovery? Well, I, I just had somebody... Uh, another person contacted me today and talked about the Bible for 12 Steps and a variety of different programs that overlap with the 12-step program. And um, one of the complaints this person had was that so many of the meetings she goes to are the same and they're boring and they're just people telling their war stories. So I know that over the years I've had a variety of people who are hungry for something that is more uh, practical tools. And our friend Dave, who has been on the show, and Gail, they're the kind of people who they go into this work and they look for those practical tools and, and they look for people to train them in ways to actually make changes in their lives rather than just espouse a philosophy. So I encourage people to look to, if you haven't done it already, go back and listen to those shows where Gail and Dave and um, our good friend, our doctor, whose name is escaping me, Andraki, we're talking about what's needed and what's available as practical tools to help people dismantle the things that are driving them towards abuse of substances or abuse of relationship or abuse of foods. And um, we've had a number of people who've come to our MindShifter group who have been heavily experienced with the 12-step programs and they come up to me afterwards and say wow you know you you've really been around the rooms a lot which is a phrase they use for people who've gone to AA or NA or CA or OA groups and I tell them no I haven't actually this is just very compatible material because it's talking about what works and the 12-step model and the people who've studied it and go through the steps over and over and over. They don't just go through them once and then move on. They go through the steps repeatedly throughout their life and they use it as a plan to change the way they show up in each moment. And they they use the 12 steps as a way to have an inner focus and to take responsibility for what they're experiencing in the moment. And one of the things that I've had several people comment on when they've had a lot of experience in the 12-step program and they work it well, when they come to a mind shifters, they're thrilled that this is just a little bit more specific. It's completely compatible with the 12-step model, but it's a little bit more specific set of tools which they feel has empowered them to take their work to the next level. So I strongly encourage awesome. people to listen to those shows where Gail and and Dave were sharing. For sure, for sure. There's a uh, an interesting film out there. We actually watched it uh, at the end of the Laws of Living Intensive as a group. And 
it's got a little bit of graphic content in it, but beyond that, uh, it serves for a powerful stimulus for people to do work as it shows some situational uh, uh, dynamics, relationship dynamics around uh, different types of uh, addiction. In this case, the uh, the addiction they're focused on primarily is sexual addiction. And the uh, the movie is Thanks for Sharing. And one of the uh, the points that you just bring out, they they stress over and over in this film. You know, there's one guy who's been in the program for five years, and he he's a sponsor for people in this guy comes who's kind of a joker you know he's he's forced by the court to go so he isn't really interested and he keeps stressing to him you've got to do your work you've got to do your work you've got to do your work and then finally this guy as as they talk a lot about in uh, in different types of addictions has to hit their bottom and this guy hits his bottom and finally comes back with sincerity rather than the joker and making fun of it all comes back and starts to tap into the real principle and one of the things I really appreciated about the movie is the focus on, and it's just like this. We get people who who come and do a Y workshop or do an intensive and go, wow, man, I did that. That was so cool. And, and then go on as though there isn't more work to do. And, you know, the work is an ongoing process. It's a daily process. And uh, the film, uh, Thanks for Sharing, very powerfully indicated. You got to keep doing your work. You don't change. And, it's interesting how people are kind of like, you know, I got five bucks, I got five minutes, tell me everything, you know, because I want to recover. You know, I want to get over my addiction. And again, it can be any kind of substance. You know, the, in this work, we define addiction as the compulsive use of any person, place, circumstance, substance, or activity to keep from hearing and following your highest guidance or to keep from feeling what's going on inside of you and dealing with it, communicating honestly about it. Well, we and have a hand up. Ongoing process. Oh, great. Well, let's say hello. Area code 618. 618, you're on the air. Give us the name. Where are you calling from? This is Gail. Well, hey there, young lady. How are you? I figured I need to call in and help. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, how was your journey home Ah. from Orlando? (laughs) Um, it, I drove straight through. I didn't stop. And that is oh, a 14 hour drive stop? about nine, 900 miles with catnap. Oh, so wow. I got home at seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday and I came home wow, to wow. a smoke filled house. <laughs> um, but my critter sitter is a, is a smoker and she, um, didn't uh, refrain from smoking from in my house, and so I came home to a smoke-filled, cigarette-filled house, and um, had a lot of upset attached to that. So you mean anyway, you mean you had more opportunity to learn forgiveness? I absolutely. She's like number oh one God. through ten on the um, three hundred and fifty worksheets we need to do for our laws of living homework. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you're laughing about it, so you've uh, you've obviously lightened your mind about it. Yeah, I've had um, several days. I've I've been able to go to a place of compassion for her instead of hostility. Um, just cigarette smoke is so destructive and is so damaging. And um, Louise Hay says that's the number one um, 
the the best or extreme self-hatred is what Louise Hay says that that's about. And so if she hates herself, of course, she's not going to she's going to express less than love in every area of her life. And for that, I could um, I can have compassion for that. Right. Well, you know, they uh, there's a small little square ozone machine that um, Amazon carries. I think we paid about $90. I don't know if you saw it at the intensive in Orlando. We had it with us. But it's great for, you know, cleaning a room or, uh, a, you know, different parts of a building, just clearing it all off. Is that the one that you had in your van? We did have it in the van. Well, no, no. That one oh, was actually okay. a small refrigerator. It's designed for a refrigerator. It's battery operated. We keep it in the van just to keep the van fresh. Uh, but there's this one that I think it was ninety dollars. If you like, I'll look it up and I'll I'll send you information on it. Uh, but yeah. I think it was around ninety dollars, and it, it puts out a significant amount of ozone that will, you know, just basically detoxify a room from cigarette smoke, get rid of the smell, and you know, if you put it in a closet, it will clean up clothes in the closet, that sort of thing. Of course, if there's anything rubber, you want to take that out of the room where the ozone is because uh, it'll tend to eat the rubber. Oh, okay. okay. Gotcha. Cool. Well, Jeannie tells me that Dr. Androcki is on. We haven't heard from him. Okay, awesome, weeks, awesome. Let's say hello to Stephen. How do you be, young man? Well, hello. I'm glad to be back. We're glad you are back. And, uh, can hardly uh, hear you, Stephen. Okay. Let me try. How about now? Better. Is that better? That's better. Still, okay. It's still uh, a little bit shadowy, but you're there. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can fix that. Uh, I could try to call back. I did have a problem with connecting. So let me call back, okay? Okay. So, Gail, did you have any other thoughts to share? Yeah, I could share them real quick and until Dr. Andraki gets back. Um, I was going to thank Tim for his comments last Wednesday about making a transition in relationships. Um, that su- ser- ah, series of suggestions really helped. And also doing the love exchanges differently to where we did express our feelings towards each other as we were closing the circle um, for Laws of Living, that helped out quite a right. bit as well. So I wanted to offer that. Um, the other thing, uh, talking what Dr. Tim was talking about, about um, people complaining about going to meetings and um, hearing the war stories, um, there was a place that I was at 16 years ago when I first got sober this time around because I was bouncing back and forth and, you know, coming to AA and drinking and coming back and I hit an in, um, a bottom and I didn't want to come back to AA and I had the same excuses um, was that I didn't want to come back to meetings and um, listen to the stories and I called the only person that I trusted and said I don't want to drink anymore I don't want to lose my kids because I've got to lose my kids but I don't want to come back to AA and what I was told to do at that point in time was to create the fellowship that I craved and to go to a bunch of meetings and 
figure out what I wanted. Um, there's a piece of literature called in How It Works that says if you want what we have and are willing to go to any link to get it. And so I was told to examine what do I want in recovery and am I willing to go to any link to get it and to go to all those meetings and to find those people that had what I wanted. And, for example, if I want somebody that goes to a lot of meetings, then I need to hang out with all the people that go to meetings Um I need to hang out. If I want somebody to hang out with people that are sponsored or are in a very healthy sponsorship line, then those are the people that I need to look for. And I need to look for the people that work the steps and that are doing the work. And then I also need to be willing to do what I want as well. I need to be willing to do the work and work the steps. And exactly. It's the same thing in 12-step groups as much as it is in, in the um doing the Aramaic forgiveness process and attending mind shifters groups and going to intensive. So I was just going to add my own little twist to that and um, offer my experience. Yeah. My understanding is that, you know, and it just makes sense is that any group dynamic has a certain resonance and it's going to resonate or fit for some people. It's not going to resonate or fit for others. So if one group is not, uh, you know, exactly my cup of tea, there are usually many other groups that are available until I find one that I'm in tune with or I recognize that I need to change my filters and stop telling myself the uh, the lies that <clears throat> oftentimes in recovery people tell about how the problem's outside of them and that's the only reason I'm upset and of course it becomes this person, that person, this group, that group. It's uh, it's always someone else's fault, but to, to recognize that I'm the one that was there every time that I was in any particular form of upset and it's my work to clean up my upset becomes key. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Jeannie tells me that Dr. Androcki's back, so let's say hello once again. Okay, okay uh, let me try this again. Is that better? Uh, we can hear you. It's, it's still weak, but you're there. So we got your voice. Okay. I'd like to start these for an initial, uh, initial show that would talk about how addicts might want to start with recovery. And I think that I'm going to uh, give my thoughts on this, and then maybe we can plan a day when other people might be able to join in for initiating the path towards recovery. And I learned yes. so much from my I learned so much from my addicts and I tried to piece this together and I realized that we all have something that we enjoy more than what we uh our inside inside gyroscopes should tell us that we shouldn't. And it might be eating, it might be uh doing unhealthy activities. Oh, it gets out of what is actually somewhat balanced to really unbalanced, and that's with drugs, alcohol, um, gambling. uh, And at that point, there has to be something that allows them to say, I need something different or something better than what I'm doing now. And I think that that point for decision takes people going to jail or being arrested or uh, health consequences that makes them wake up and go into the thought of recovery. And for some people, it's just by saying, I know there's something different than that. But making that step from saying, I have something that is out of balance in my life and I need to uh, start recovery, 
to recovery is a paramount and, of course, the first step towards recovery. Any so comments? acknowledgement that there's a problem. Acknowledging that there's a problem. And for some people, that's a hard thing because they don't see it as a problem. They say, I'm taking pain pills, but I don't see it as a problem. I can work uh, fine. I can do things fine. But, in fact, everybody else around them sees that they're acting differently. So sometimes they can't even see that there's a problem. So it's uh, out of balance. Right. The, uh, the impact of denial. And so I'd like to start when I talk to people is that it's not your fault that you're this way, that you may be choosing something, and that it's not your fault that you don't know the answers, but we can offer you the answers, and it's your choice to engage into some sort of uh, program. And your willingness to uh, to participate is the only thing that you can really add to this is uh, because you didn't know any different. When we have our support groups, I often ask, have you ever heard anything like this before about the impact of love, about, uh, about how we hold ourselves amongst uh, situations and stop the blame and, and rage and anger uh, responses? And, of course, most people said they've never heard this. And so if people don't know about what we have to offer, then it's, they can't necessarily be responsible for what they don't know. And also they can't blame themselves for their behaviors that they've created from this because that's the only thing that they knew is to reach out to get rid of the pain is alcohol or drugs or, or rage or eating, emotional eating, whatever it is. And so they can't be blamed they can't blame themselves. Blame is not good for themselves. Guilt is not good for the situation. But to say you have your opportunity, you have your chance, go beyond this. And whatever you have, dynamic you have to allow you to search for something that's different or better to put you into a different state of, uh, of, of numbness, of uh, analgesia, of drunkenness, so you don't have to deal with it. That's what you knew, and you're not damaged, and you're not beyond repair and taking the opportunity to, uh, to to start something is the first step, and we're here to support you for that. So I like to start with all my uh, people coming in for addicts to uh, let them know that they, the guilt is not going to help them, that uh, they may not have known better. We're going to offer them something that's helped a lot of people. They're going to need to find if this works for them and see if this is uh, what helps them towards recovery. And to get the whole thing started from uh, from point A moving forward. Now I don't know if I'm coming very clear. So if I'm not, then you can take the rest of the conversation, and hopefully we can build on that. Yeah, you're loud and clear, uh, Stephen. We uh, we got your voice clearly. Uh, I was able to hear every word you had to say. And of course, as with the uh, reality management worksheet or the wake up sheet. Uh, it's a no-fault process. If one starts to assign fault, then it just leads to another downward spiral, and recovery is about, uh, you know, my take would be that recovery is about removing ourselves from anything that creates a downward spiral and start to engage in what creates upward movement, and that when one can take responsibility as opposed to blame, it becomes a whole different game. How, how does that fit, um, Gail, in the recovery community, the, the thoughts of uh, it's not your fault and, uh, you know, but you can take responsibility? There is, 
there is words um, that are used in the AA language that, that convey that idea, um, and I, I can't I can't recite it um, exactly, but it's very similar that we had to stop using the word blame, and um, and we do have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility for our recovery for sure, and we also need to take responsibility for the harms that we've done to others and a, a big part of, of taking that kind of responsibility um, and being able to make it right in, in the men's process most definitely um, there's a lot of relief in that there's a lot of um, a lot of pain is removed from that process so yeah agreed right. agreed on all fronts there so simply being able to face what one has engaged in that has damaged self or others and to free oneself. I think that a lot of times the uh, the fact that one feels to blame for everything is to oftentimes ties in with the root of the pain that leads to the need for an anesthetic. And uh, Absolutely. so being able to forgive as to those things and remove them is a, a big key in, in true recovery. I'd agree. It seems to, to go from one extreme to the other. Either I'm going to blame everybody else for what's going on inside of me, or I'm going to take on, I'm going to blame myself or go to a place of guilt, shame, and remorse. Right. Well, I think that um, a really powerful piece in the puzzle, wherever one is in that spiral, is to be able to stop and recognize that oftentimes it's simply a repeat of the power person dynamic, that behavior... The, the put downs, the the degrading comments that one makes about self, oftentimes come from the degrading comments they heard from a power person, and and of course the power person, or the person who's still doing it twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years later, uh, just thinks, well, but this is normal, isn't it? Isn't this the way I'm supposed to talk about myself? Isn't this the way I'm supposed to think about myself? And of course that uh, error in thinking. Uh, leads to a lot of pain and trauma, and they they're oftentimes generational patterns of uh, self-deprecation, of putting down others, of telling you know one what's wrong with them and why everything is their fault, et cetera, et cetera. And 20 years later, somebody's just repeating those words inside their own heads and pointing it at another object of attention. So a huge piece to let go of is the whole guilt, fault, blame dynamic. And again, taking responsibility for one's part in it becomes a a very uh, powerful piece of work to do. And I and I think also recognizing the uh, the fact that those dynamics are often triggered into activity under high levels of stress. I think the uh, the film uh, that we were talking about. Uh, thanks for sharing very powerfully portrays, uh, although it doesn't specifically speak about what causes stress, uh, in the laws of living, of course, we've got a really clear picture of what causes stress. And if you watch that film, you'll see that each time one is going to move out of, you know, their state of recovery, they're in crisis, there's, there's something going on, it's always as a result of the goals they have piling up for themselves and others that people are not achieving. And so recognizing that one 
create stress every time one sets a goal for themselves or for someone else. And the higher the levels of stress are, the closer one gets to living out of the power person dynamic. In fact, there are three levels of behavior possible in that state. And one is when there's no stress, one does whatever they did to get along with their power person. When stress starts to build, one will tend to do what they did to resist and survive with their power person. And when ultra-stressed, one will do whatever their power person did them that they hated the most. And it is that aberrant behavior that leads to falling off the wagon that that ends up happening. And uh, another powerful piece of the puzzle that's uh, put forward in that film is that preceding the addictive behavior taking over in each case, and there are several scenarios where it takes over or almost takes over, it has to do with frustrated goals that uh, create stress. And once the the normal management of stress, the capacity for the normal management of stress, pardon me, is lost, then it moves into that addictive form of behavior as a way to manage the stress and block the awareness of stress. And uh, one of the other ways of doing that is through blockage of truth. If I can't acknowledge the truth of what I'm doing or what I have done, uh, then what happens is blockage of truth steps in and where if I faced myself doing a particular behavior, I would be under great stress. If I can block the truth of having done that behavior, if I can say, oh, that never happened, that never occurred, then I can manage my stress. And this itself, I think, becomes an addiction, is managing stress through blockage of truth. In fact, it's probably one of the most common, uh, or if not the most common form of stress management that most people without tools use is just blocking the truth. You know, I just don't look there. And so the willingness to uh, to be able to look, that step of the uh, fearless and searching moral inventory is a big key in the whole process for sure. To be able to look at the truth of behaviors, the impact of behaviors, and to take responsibility for them. Tim, do you have any thoughts in this regard? Well, a couple things. One is that earlier when you were talking about the groups, one of the things I tell people because of my experience with um, group development and dynamic is that whenever I have somebody and they're going to choose support group, I tell them, please go out and find a group that you're really comfortable with. And a lot of people call that their home group. And then I tell them, and then keep looking. And often they push back and they fight and they say, why? This is, my, this is like my family. I love this group. And I tell them, well, the reason I, I ask you to do that is you find a group you're really comfortable with and then go out and find two or three other groups that you may not be quite as comfortable with, but you're still looking. Because we know from group dynamics that if the composition of a group changes by either even one or two people added or leaving, the entire dynamic of the group personality can change. And if you've constructed a support network based around a home group, no matter, especially, not just no matter, but especially when they are a vital part of your recovery process and you come to rely on them for support and education and camaraderie 
when that changes, as they all do, if you don't have another other legs in your support network, you're stranded, you often spiral downward. It's the trigger for many people to go back into relapse. So that's one point I wanted to make. The other point I wanted to make was when Dr. Andraki was talking about guilt. And we've talked on this show a number of times about how unproductive it is to blame or to engage in guilt. And there are people who've come to our support group and they say, well, guilt is a good thing and it's what allows us to live together in community because if we didn't have guilt and shame, then we would never get people to behave in a way that's in line with community values. And what I have observed in over 41 years of doing therapy is that when people get stuck in the cycle of guilt, it increases their pain, it's a downward spiral, and they eventually use again because of it. And I have been in support groups, I have watched people tell stories of how horrible they felt, how guilty they felt that they relapsed, and they're on their 17th relapse. And unless they can break the cycle of guilt, they can't use guilt to stay sober. It doesn't work. Guilt is a false dynamic of the mind, of the non-human mind that you talk about, Michael, of the ego. And it creates a cycle of pain. It creates a false sense of separation from your true nature. And in my estimation, it always leads to increased stress. And then as you talked about, many of the people who have addiction problems manage their stress through the abuse of substances. So that would be my, my input. You know, and you know, one of the things that on your first point there, Tim, we we introduce to uh, people the first evening of a workshop, an intensive, is that everybody that you've never dealt with, we have um, invited them to come. We contacted everybody personally, and everybody that you've never dealt with agreed to show up at the workshop. And then we proceed to give people the instruction that if there's somebody that when you look at them, you kind of shudder and you don't want to go near them, that's the first person you want to go visit with and spend time with because they've got a gift for you. And I think with with a group dynamic, sometimes people can become comfortable in a group because they're not challenged, because they don't have to look. And so having other places where one goes where maybe they're not quite so comfortable allows them to look at other dynamics inside of their minds and work through those things in a very powerful way. So that, I think, can be uh, be very useful. Dr. Andraki, still with us? He's on. Hello? Hello? Great. We Any can hear you, Stephen. Post that we pick a date and we put all of these little pieces like uh, Tim was very helpful. I didn't realize that before about uh, suggesting they find another group. And we get some examples of people who've started recovery and in recovery. And we just pieced together a full show of on the point, starting ways to uh, start, how to keep going so that we can direct people who have addiction problems uh, in one show the essence that we can figure out um, to guide them into the future. I think that there's a lot well, of people actually, who can add. Um, we couldn't combine them into one show because the last three weeks um, we decided to make Wednesdays Recovery Wednesday. And so 
I've actually marked it on the website uh, for the Recovery Wednesday. There is one link where they can go to get the uh, 12-step information, and I could list the the Wednesday shows there as well. Um, but to put because like right now we're up to three hours of just recovery shows. I think and so I think I Stephen is suggesting we do a show that kind of a. I think Stephen's suggesting we do we create. Uh, one of these Wednesdays, a show that gives people a starting path. Is that what I'm hearing, uh, Stephen? Exactly, and I think that some of the people who've gone to this, I know there's people who have called in and say from personal experience, because I can't, I can't offer from personal experience, and, uh, and but I can offer what I know about helping people to start the process. Uh, Tim can offer his, uh, his points. Gil can offer his, uh, her thoughts. You can offer your thoughts. And as we build this, Jeannie can offer her thoughts how to get people engaged uh, in, a, in a first show. So when I see somebody who wants to start recovery, what they look at, how they can feel, how they can deal with some of the issues such as guilt, such as uh, shame, such as uh, I don't know where to go, such as I don't know if it's AA or uh, with the forgiveness process, everything so they can have a choice, have an option, and know that this is something that has worked. It's helped a lot of people, and it's going to be their choice if they want to pursue this because we can support them if they do. Right. Yeah, I think we can create that. A a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Stephen, I had sent you a text. Uh, Are you getting my texts? I I did not. (laughs) Sorry about that. Okay. I'll connect with well, you I so had, we can get had, established a better con- Right. I sent a text just asking for, you know, it was the week after you had made that request, asking for your input as a starting point, and then I was thinking, we, you know, I'd add some comments to it and share it with uh, with Dr. Tim and, uh, and uh, Dave and uh, Gail and just get everybody's input and then share a, a uh, a format and and let's do that show so that uh, people have got that opening point with uh, a number of different perspectives and voices uh, offering support. I'll connect with you after the show so we can establish. Okay, great. And uh, and I'll, we'll work together to make this uh, to make a great uh, introduction for people and uh, plans for the future. Okay. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you. All right, sir. Well, we appreciate you, and uh, give your bride a hug for us and tell her we send our love and blessings. Thank you. All right, sir. So, Gail, any other thoughts uh, from your perspective? And uh, anything well, I'm to, on uh, board to share with on whatever how... you... Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say I'm on board with I... anything that you decide to do. <laughs> Cool. As far Fabulous. as that initial show, and uh, offer my support and anything that you need me to contribute, I'm there. Um, as far as what Dr. Tim had to offer about um, having finding a home group and finding your people and then finding other groups, um, I agree with that wholeheartedly as well. When I lived in a much larger metropolitan area than I do now um, in early recovery, I did that. I had... I uh, had multiple groups that I went to. I did have that that staple home group, and then I had other groups that I went to, and the dynamics of that home group did change, and I had the other groups to fall back on, and it is very important. 
I was told very on early in recovery this time around to go to a meeting a day. And in order to go to a meeting a day, that requires going to a lot of groups and, and, and meeting a lot of people and, and tying in and doing all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Um, right on there. Um, as far as the other conversation that we were having about guilt, one of the ways that I, I work step one is, um, which is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Of course, you know, um, powerless over alcohol is 10%. It's a symptom of a much greater problem. And then there's a um, there's a dash there and that our lives have become unmanageable. And a big part of what I go through when I go through the steps on a daily basis is that I remind myself that I go to a place to what's called irritable restlessness and discontent. And that's why I drink is to anesthetize that feeling. And a big part of the irritable restlessness and discontent is starting out at fear, going to anger, to resentment, to judgment, to the need to retaliate, which includes gossip, and then guilt, shame, and remorse, and being caught in that cycle of fear, anger, resentment, judgment, the need to retaliate, including, you know, just running around and not being able to think my way out of that. And therefore, having those feelings, and I want to change how I feel, so I'm going to drink. And so that's why I work the rest of the steps. When I'm able to acknowledge that feeling those feelings of, of guilt, shame, and remorse, and all that other stuff isn't going to get me anywhere, except for to be an alarm system that I need to change the way I think, um, then I work the rest of the steps. And step two is basically doing something different in order to get different results starting to take different actions to get different results. And then when I start to change my thinking because I've I've changed my actions and my behaviors, then then my feelings are going to change. So that's what I wanted to offer on that. Perfect. Yeah. Yes, and it's um it becomes apparent that uh when one's in that state of discontent, one is either going to change thinking and behavior or they're going to self-medicate and you know it's kind of there comes a point where the stress is at a certain level and i think that um and, and that film uh thanks for sharing very powerfully shows that in each case where somebody is about to lose their sobriety what they do is they go into hostility and that that's a form of self-medication and I think that's another powerful trigger, another powerful signal that I either have to change my thinking and my behavior or I'm the stress is going to get so high I'm going to tend to fall off the wagon and self-medicate. And that hostility is, I think, the beginning, the irritation, even the mildest irritation. I love what Course in Miracles says about uh, mild irritation. It says it's, it's a cover for deep rage. And so when I go into that, it's always an anesthetic. It's always a self-medicating uh, device, that hostility, so that I don't have to feel the impact of the way that I'm thinking. And I can keep pretending that somebody else is the cause of those feelings. So instead of self-medicating, that's where one steps into and does the work. And as they do the work, just being able to remind themselves that this is about me and it's not about anything outside of me or anybody outside of me, 
but it's about me and I need to have enough courage to take corrective action instead of utilizing some form of anesthetizing myself to feel better. Corrective action will not only allow me to feel better, but it will lead me on a path where I will resolve the dynamics that are that I'm creating pain with. It changes the whole game. And the the most you know, for me, the most powerful tool in being able to see beneath the surface of that whole game. And, you know, there's, it's, it's fairly well uh, documented in this culture that uh, for the average person, at least 90 to 95% of their mental processes are unconscious. Finding a tool with which to look within and to delve deeper. Uh, whenever I think of this thought, I always, uh, I love to, uh, to bring forward a quote from Carl Jung who says, those who look without dream and that most people's dreams who have a tendency toward self-medication are dreams of violence and dreams of uh, of resentment. And when one is stuck in looking outside, thinking that that which is outside is the cause of the dreams that I'm having, then I'm stuck in the dream world. And that dream world is called perception. And perception is a construct unique to each individual. You know, there can be 10 people in a particular circumstance, and the same thing happens to every one of them. But only one of those persons goes out and and gets so drunk they can't stand up. Why did they do that? They didn't do that because of the event that happened. Otherwise, you know, everybody that experienced the event would have done the same thing. They do that because of what's going on inside of their own minds. And so any form, even the slightest form of hostility or resentment, I think is such a powerful trigger to stop and say to myself, this is about me. I'm going to look inside of me to resolve what I am doing to myself because this event can't be doing it to me. It's impossible that the event could do it to me or else everybody who experiences the event would be experiencing the same thing I am. So to change my own individual response is the work and and to recognize that, you know, the work is is not just about changing your own mind, but that you have a mind that has been in development for generations and generations and generations. And we tend to adopt the mind of the generations as a way to manage our lives. And if we have poor uh, management skills in that regard, then that's when the downward spiral begins. And that any time through forgiveness, <clears throat> pardon me, and the, what, what basically the first century Aramaic forgiveness process does, and I, what I perceive in it as it being so powerful, is that whatever is going on in my mind currently, it looks at what drives that which is really causing my pain and always the driver for that kind of pain is a goal and the genius of Yeshua 2000 years ago to have come up with this tool of canceling a goal canceling the driver that creates the perception of turmoil and pain 
so that the perception, the picture, the construct of turmoil and pain collapses. And when it collapses, then one can look directly underneath into what the root is, into the hidden part of what it is that I'm pained about. Or more correctly, I should probably say what I'm paining myself with and about. I get to drop into that part, and as long as we're living in the surface mind and not going beneath it, then the surface mind has always got a story about somebody or something that's the cause. Until I get past that and understand how to collapse that, it can be difficult to get free of that surface mind and its pictures that it's all about something outside of me and to really step in and resolve the generational patterns with which I inflict pain and trauma on myself. To me, that that piece of the puzzle is such a huge gift and a gift that I've never seen anywhere else but from the first century Aramaic Yeshua to uh, to recognize that the driver for perception is 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 goals, and the canceling of goals, and the word forgive in Aramaic being shebag, it literally means to cancel. The canceling of a goal collapses the whole perceptual process, and it's just such a powerful thing to be able to do, to get access to what's underneath, what's in the what's in the ninety five percent of the mind that's really the cause of my pain as opposed to my looking outward and thinking that it's the circumstance external to me. So it's really the, the, the difference between looking outward and then, as Carl Jung says, those who look within, they awaken. They're no longer stuck in the dream, the dream of victimhood, the dream of somebody else's to blame. And then one comes face-to-face with the real gut-level work that needs to be done to clean up the perceptual system and get out of the blame game. It's such a key part in the whole process. Thoughts, anyone? I just wanted to agree with you. (laughs) Yay. Anyway, and I also, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Okay, good deal. I was just, I was just checking to make sure I didn't, have it on mute still. I, I just wanted to acknowledge um, you for um, being flexible enough to adopt both languages. There, there's definitely a, a recovery language and there's a Aramaic forgiveness process language as well. And um, especially during the intensive, how you were able to drop into the recovery language and give me suggestions. Um, and and the the work that you're doing now with having recovery Wednesdays and having those first six shows to point this out, um, this means a lot to me, and I'm sure it means a lot to a lot of other people. And thank you for allowing me to contribute and be a part of this. So that's what I wanted to say to tie up the show. So fabulous. Well, I appreciate your contribution to it, and you know, I the more I hear of the recovery language the more I realize that it's really exactly the same as first century Aramaic forgiveness, it's first century Aramaic Christianity. And, you know, I mean, when you go back to and you see, you know, there's so many stories that are kind of fantastical that have been made up about this man, Yeshua, as though in order to um, 
move forward, one needs fantastical stories and needs to believe things that perhaps aren't as impactful on their lives as they could be. And to realize that the real story, the real thing, whether it's coming through the uh, Oxford group and first century Christian studies, or whether it's coming from the first century words of Yeshua in Aramaic, his actual words and his actual teachings, the parallel is so identical and so beyond powerful that fantastical stories aren't required. What what this man brought in the real world, in the secular world, the world where people live with their pain and their trauma and their challenges and their families and their financial difficulties and their marital difficulties, when people take the actual teachings of Yeshua, nothing of a fantastical nature is needed. It's just right there. Jeannie and I actually uh, saw a film the other night uh, called... uh, what was the name of it, Jeannie? Risen. 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 And it was interesting to, uh, it, it's the basically the whole crucifixion story, the last hours of Yeshua's life, uh, put in uh, to a story from the perspective of a uh, a leader in the Roman military. And you watch so many of the dynamics of how powerfully he's impacted once he gets once he gets past his own mind and his own training and his own rage and his own Roman thinking that he actually has his heart touched so deeply by this presence of love and this possibility and I thought it was really interesting that when in this film and I had just said something to Jeannie about, you know, here they go, they, you know, they ask his name, and, uh, you know, it, it's a shame that what calls itself Christian doesn't even know the man's name. And when they repeat his name in this movie, it's Yeshua. They, they actually come up with his actual name. It's like, how cool is that, that uh, somebody's doing some things that uh, that are actually on track with that first century thinking, so... You might find that uh, that film interesting and in how it touches this man in a very real way and someone who's in resentment and resistance and war and hatred and all of that and how transformed he is. And there's the real power in that first century uh, man's teachings. So we're down to the last few seconds. I'm just going to say thank you to everybody. Uh, and uh, and we hold the space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world. Please give it away one more time. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Wright and his wife Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www. W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot com. Evolving continuously.